Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, first things first, let's uh, we need to go ahead and mention that we do have a new email address. If you're looking to send us good old-fashioned email with or without uh, photo attachments and all, all that fun stuff, you will want to contact us at BlowTheMind at discovery.com. Previous one was uh, at howstuffworks.com, so it, it's the same email address, just at a different domain, discovery. So That's there right. You go. The mothership. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of motherships, um, we are, of course, talking about uh, Virgin Galactic in this particular episode. Uh, and we, I guess we were kind of uh, uh, excited to discuss this again because uh, just last week it, uh, there was a story that was uh, suddenly everywhere, and I think it like it originated in like the Sun or something. You know, like if you track it down to its origins, it mm-hmm. was it was a British tabloid. But uh, but still, the idea got people talking because the idea was that record executives were interested in sending Jay Z and Beyonce um, up into a suborbit aboard Spaceship Two, the Virgin Galactic uh, space tourism vessel, so they could shoot a video. It's a wonderfully, um, it's just a, such a, a fun idea mm-hmm. because I mean, there's so many different angles. I don't, there's sort of the one percent angle of just Jay Z and Beyonce dropping four hundred thousand dollars just to go into space and not look out the window. Like I, I find that amazing. Uh, the idea also of them going into orbit and, and maybe being a little sick. Uh, oh right, having their little vomit bags. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then and then trying to shoot a video around that, I find kind of amusing. And I don't know, it just it, the idea of uh, Jay Z in space is, of course, fantastic. Especially if Beyonce feels a little ill and Kanye ends up going up with him instead. You know, that's the one time that I would really want to be an extra. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd totally be an extra on that video. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, not only are you, uh, you know, going into space, but but you're uh, you're getting to watch, you know, celebrities vomit on themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, normally you have to pay uh, pay quite a premium for that. Well, you'd be paying quite a premium uh, for that. Uh, Wait, I would well. be wiping vomit off my face. I just realized. So maybe I need to rethink that. But here's the deal. I mean, this is a possibility. Uh, it's it's uh, right around the corner. Uh, uh, Virgin Galactic has been saying that they're in the final phase of uh, creating this great uh, vessel and their spaceport. And some people are saying, well, maybe it'll happen in 2012, although more, most likely it'll be 2013. But, you know, with the uh, U.S. Space Shuttle program being kaput, this is something to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, and I've, I've spoken with, uh, I interviewed Stephen Attenborough, the commercial director for Virgin Galactic uh, a while back, and uh, I also talked to uh, Virgin Galactic CEO George Whitesides, and uh, and they were both you know they were they were they get asked all the time when's it going up what's mm-hmm. the date and they're they're very hesitant to to throw out any kind of date because then you know they, if they say it's going to go up fourth quarter of 2012 then they're going to suddenly be sort of uh, feel kind of beholden to that date mm-hmm. and this is not something they want to rush they want to get this right because uh, you, I mean you, we're, we're talking about uh, traveling into suborbit we're talking about traveling into space. Uh, a monumental, uh, you know, first uh, w- when we actually have the uh, the first commercial uh, Virgin Galactic flight mm-hmm. uh, take take off. So you know they, they want it to, to look to work perfectly, uh, just if nothing else from a, from a PR standpoint. Well, and a yeah. business model too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, let's talk a little bit about what suborbital flight is, which is what the the vessel um, the craft will be going into. Right. We're talking about reaching an altitude of approximately 68 miles above the surface of the Earth, um, and that is 6.2 miles above a boundary line uh, that we call the Kármán line, which by most definitions 
is where the atmosphere ends and outer space begins. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important to stress here that, that there's there's no just uh, like the Earth's atmosphere kind of just dies off gradually, and, and it varies exactly when the atmosphere would be ending uh, and when space would be uh, begin based on. Uh, uh, on, on where you're looking and uh, various atmospheric conditions, but but also, the, but basically, it's just it kind of dies off. It's like imagine there's a bad smell in a room. There's not a point <laughs> where the bad smell begins and ends as much as where it fades away, it dissipates. You know, okay. This is also what we're talking about here is sending a craft into space and bringing it back down without circling the Earth. Right. And uh, just so you guys know, NASA's X-15 has ascended uh, beyond the Kármán line only twice. And the higher you go, the higher the G-forces are going to be on the way up and the way down. So um, this is mainly why this height is achievable to us right now, because it works within the confines of our own humanness, right, and our ability to withstand G-forces. Um, and also just that reentry is really important on, um, well, we know it's one of the, the, the biggest problems of engineering, right? Right. And uh, the, uh, the ship uh, itself, uh, Spaceship 2, uh, is actually uh, designed to go even higher than 68 miles. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to keep in mind, again, business model. This is about tourism. This is about uh, reaching as many people as possible because you want to be able to sell them that pricey ticket. Uh, so they, the, the goal for Virgin Galactic has been uh, to make it to where 93% of human beings between the ages of 22 and 88 would be fit enough to take the ride. So it wouldn't be the, one of these things where only people in their 20s and 30s you know, in good health. You know, this is not the astronaut program. This is space tourism. So the goals are a little different. So it's like the ultimate roller coaster for for a, a variety of ages. Right. Yeah. If Granny wants to go into suborbit, Granny gets to go into suborbit. She's just got to be able to plop down the cash. My favorite part of this is the way that Branson describes it, which is the sexiest spaceship ever. <laughs> he really said well, that. It's, it's such a ridiculous concept. A. Because most spaceships are kind of phallic anyway. So, um, I mean, it's uh, like I can't help but think of that. So he's like, uh, you imagine him saying, I'm going to create the most phallic spaceship imaginable. And, and, but, and, I mean, it's really, it is a very attractive looking plane. And then they have the, uh, there's the white knight that takes it up to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about what zone. this looks like uh, because it is sexy looking actually. Yeah. Um, it is uh, a vehicle that's designed to carry six passengers and two pilots. And right. if you're looking at it, it looks like it almost looks like three planes lined up uh, together. Right. Yeah, because the the White Knight uh, has two cabins. Yes. Or two uh, two fuselage bodies. It looks like uh, like like two dragonflies holding hands. Oh, that's pretty. You know. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the White Knight, just so everybody knows, is not part of the actual craft that that shot into the the um, the. The ether there. It is actually the part that boosts uh, the the craft up to fifty thousand feet, right? Right. In the same way as a space shuttle, uh, you know, it uses the booster. It would use the boosters to reach a certain altitude, and then it would jettison the boosters and uh, fly the rest of the way up. This is kind of like that, except the boosters instead of plummeting back to Earth, uh, they go and land at, at an airport. Which I um, mean, that's that's pretty smart, right? Yeah, yeah. You're far less waste, a lot more uh, economically feasible. Um, and another way to look at it is, uh, and I think this is the way that Virgin Galactic tends to frame it, is that the White Knight is the launching platform for Spaceship Two. Right. But, but instead of the launching platform being on the ground, they fly the launching platform up to uh, a high altitude itself. Right. So it's you know it's it's given it a ride, and then it can walk the rest of the way. And, and as a result, they use less fuel, mm-hmm. and uh, their carbon footprint is far less. Um, so the cabin measures an ample 7.5 feet in diameter uh, by 12 feet in length, and that seems to be enough room to float around, right? Yeah. 
And there are a lot of uh, little porthole-like windows just sort of scattered throughout, and those are measuring up to 17 inches in diameter, about twice what your commercial aircraft uh, window would be. Yeah, and not everybody's going to get a lot of personal space, but like you said, uh, you know, you're going to be throwing up on each other potentially. So, so it, you know, you might as well get a little cozy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and this again, this is going to be a pretty big bonding experience for these six people anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and then the the company has actually managed to sell more than 470 tickets so far, each with a $20,000 minimum deposit. Uh, and, of course, this is without setting any sort of definitive launch date. Right. Um, and uh, some of the luminaries that will be on oh, the yeah, spacecraft, yeah. Uh, besides possibly Jay-Z and Beyonce? Of course, uh, Angelina and, and uh, Jolie and Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, They're of course. on board. Yeah. Um, Brian Singer, director of uh, the first two X-Men movies. Paris Hilton, who, um, well, everyone knows Paris Hilton. Uh, <laughs> we've got royalty covered in the form of Prince uh, Beatrice. We have science covered in the form of Stephen Hawking. Uh, we have, uh, and then an, another uh, Hollywood legend. We have uh, Tom Hanks on board, and to a lesser extent, uh, Victoria Principal. Ah, uh, Spice Girl. Oh yes, no, she's not a Spice Girl. I think she's from like when the nineteen yeah, yeah, she's like, older, Dynasty yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I think she's oh, the okay. one who uh, who wanted to have a special spacesuit, like she wanted like a pink spacesuit or something. Like that was that was in the news at one point because, for the most part, if it's Virgin Galactic related, um, you know, like space and science journalism, they're going to cover it, uh, and and with good reason because uh, Virgin Galactic. Uh, I mean, Branson really throws his money at stuff, and they have great PR. They have great images that uh, they put out there for you. Well, yeah. and I have heard that their their commercial air flights are quite cushy and nice, so I can imagine yeah. that they would design a, a pink. Spacesuit for Victoria Principal. Now, now you mentioned that it's twenty thousand dollars to reserve the ticket, mm-hmm. but two hundred thousand, as the title of the podcast suggests, two hundred thousand to actually uh, board the flight. Like that's the full price. And you had an interesting tidbit about Salma Hayek. Yeah, yeah, she actually reserved a ticket, and presumably she lost her deposit uh, later when she became a mother and decided that that was a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was kind of like, oh, okay, I, I get it. You know, I'm a mother. And uh, I can understand, like, oh, okay, if I if, if something happens, that would be a travesty. But then we were discussing about how this is on par with irrational fears, uh, and, and in particular, flight, right? Because right. we all know that it's far safer to fly than it is to get in your car and drive. Yeah, I mean, not to discount the fact that, yes, this would be a suborbital flight. This would be pretty groundbreaking. But Richard Branson has, I mean, he has a personal stake. In, in this going well. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be on that flight, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right? so, I mean, that's the flight you want to be on. Like, yeah. you're safer on that flight than on any uh, terrestrial virgin flight, you know, or or, or any random, uh, you know, drive across town. Like, there is a huge engine, not figured, oh, I mean, there's, you know, a huge engine uh, involved here, too. But, uh, but just uh, from a business standpoint, like, well, like, the, the virgin galactic engine is behind this thing taking off. I think you're going to be okay. And if you're not, I mean, you're going to... Go out in a blaze of glory next to, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie and, and Brad Pitt. Oh. Well, I don't know <laughs> about that. Um, and, and I think that the end result is that you're still going to be a, a flaming meat bag. And that, that's where people have the problem with that, like Selma Hayek, right? Well, you don't want to become a flaming meat bag. Well, we're all going to become meat bags. So I'm, I'm like, let's do it in suborbit. Let's, let's do it above the, the common line. Well, and as we'll discuss later on, it's probably not, you know, that's probably, again, an irrational fear that you could uh, apply to terrestrial flight to, you know. Right. There's probably not even going to be mass celebrity vomiting. Like, I'm probably, I'm overstating that, much less flaming celebrities. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about the image. Um, all right. In a moment here after the, our break, we are going to talk about what you get for two hundred thousand dollars. All right, we're back. Uh, I should also point out, as we're talking about the famous individuals and tickets, it should be noted that um, that Shatner, Captain Kirk fame, of course, uh, he was offered a free ticket by Branson but turned it down. Because he's too cool for school? I mean, what's up with that? Oh, I don't think he's too cool. But um, I don't know. He's just too old and curmudgeonly. Too it's like, I've got my gig. Space. I've got yeah. my con gig. I don't. I can't do it. <laughs> um, maybe he just hates flying. I mean, because ultimately it's a flight. So maybe he's just like, ah, oh, I fly enough. Okay, but it's a 150-minute flight. That's what yeah. we're talking about here. I mean, we're not talking about, like, going to the West Coast. We're not talking about four hours here. Um, but, you know, just, just to break it down... A 150-minute journey would be $1,333 a minute. Mm-hmm. Are you guys uh, tagging that? And um, what you also get in your $200,000 is a three-day training course in G-Force and safety training at the company's training facility in New Mexico. And uh, as you said, the, the training exercises do indicate that 93% of humans can, can do this, right? right, between the ages of 22 and 88 and uh, passengers, after completing training, will load onto a rocket ship attached to a carrier plane. That's the white knight that we've been talking. The mothership. The mothership. Yep. Uh, that will fly 50,000 feet, 50, feet into the air. And then at that point, at about an hour in, the rockets will detach and soar more than 300,000 feet into the air. And this is when things get really serious because the environment inside the craft is changing really rapidly. Because now you're hurtling through space Close to four times the speed of sound in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Okay, with five Gs coming at you. So it's quite a roller coaster ride at this point. And I'm sorry, but yeah. I'm kind of, this is, I'm getting excited by this, right? <laughs> this is really cool. And then, and then when you begin to see Earth at the window, right? Um, that's when the engine cuts off and it's complete silence and weightlessness is achieved. And that's when uh, presumably like the little lights come on that say that you can, um, Take your seatbelt off. Uh, that's when you'll take off your seatbelt and experience zero gravity for a full five minutes. Yeah, and, and, and it's easy to sort of look at this and say, like, five minutes. All right, so you're going to float around for five minutes. Big whoop. Is that really worth $200,000? Not, not, or unsurprisingly, uh, the, the Virgin Galactic people I talked to said, yes, it will totally be worth that money. And... Uh, and certainly when you, when you look at, uh, they, they make a strong case because they point out that, that everyone who's gone into space, uh, and who, and who has looked out of a portal and seen the earth from above, it's changed their lives forever. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something where people are like, yeah, I went into space once and, you know, it's like, really? You went into space? We've known each other 10 years and you never mentioned that. No, this is the <laughs> kind of thing that they mention all the time. Like right. you, if anything, you're sick of hearing about, your friend uh, Charlie going into space. You're like, oh, really? You're going to talk about how you got to see the the Earth from above, and you realize we're all a uh, you know a brotherhood of man, blah blah blah. You, we've heard it before. You know, it it changes people. It's it is. I, I don't think there's any. It may not be for everyone in the sense that not everyone is going to be willing to invest the money in it. Mm-hmm. But I I can't imagine anybody when would go up there and see it. So look out the window, see the Earth, would experience uh, microgravity, and would regret. Uh, the trip. I know. I'm just thinking that this is total billionaire cocktail uh, fodder, like cocktail party. Like, oh well, I went hella skiing last weekend in yeah. Aspen. Oh really? Because I just saw the Earth, like <laughs> you know, from space. Yeah, it's definitely. I guess it's you know, it's pretty much aimed at the one percent. You know, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna say that. I'm gonna go with that. 
Except for, I mean, um, I will say though, if they want somebody from the lower 99% to actually, uh, you know, have a seat, I'm happy mm-hmm. to, to be that person. I oh, will, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'll come along. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. I, you know, in the name of science, research, podcasting, um, I could, I could do that. Yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I mean, especially if, and if I had $200,000 just sitting around and absolutely nothing else <laughs> to do with that money, like if $200,000 was nothing to me, then mm-hmm. I, I could see myself buying a ticket. Yeah. Yeah, like 10, 10 of them for your entire family. I do think it's a really incredible thing. Charter the whole flight, yeah. Yeah. Which some, uh, well, not really people, but say some space organizations are doing. Well, I was just thinking that if you were super crazy rich, you could have some sort of event up like there, uh, like get married or, yeah. you know. Oh, somebody will get married on Virgin Galactic. I know it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Bar mitzvah. <laughs> with, the, with the chair and everything? I don't think they'll let you bring a chair How cool up. would that be in zero gravity? <laughs> <laughs> Space bonus. So. Uh, but let's let's talk about a little bit more about the company um, and how this came to fruition. The, the um, Spaceship 2 vehicle, its predecessor, had actually already explored suborbital space um, and claimed the 10 million Anasari X Prize on October 4th in 2004. This is actually what caught Sir Richard Branson's eye. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, obviously this is something that he wanted to do and, um, this is a design that he has been working on with the, uh, the people who are behind the engineering of that. So the thing that, that is most critical though to the design is reentry, because we talked about that a little bit before, right? Like reentry is the hardest part of this because again, the higher you go, um, I guess you could say the harder you're going to fall. Yes, yeah. You definitely you have to deal with the uh, the intense uh, physical challenges of reentry, the wear and tear that it's going to inflict on the uh, the ship itself. Mm-hmm. Fiery reentry is a, is a phrase uh, for a reason. Right, right. It just doesn't sound very pleasant, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The friction of the the of the air hitting the the ship. No, but feathered reentry doesn't that sound wonderful? That sounds great. That sounds like something that would be offered in a hotel, you know? Yeah, the feathered reentry bed. Like they don't have a shower; it's like a heavenly shower and bath, or, or whatever. You know, they have all these these cushy terminologies for things that uh, aren't really that fantastic. But feathered landing—that sounds great. I wouldn't be concerned about a feathered landing. It sounds so much better than uh, violent reentry. <laughs> and fiery yeah. reentry. Um, it's been compared to the flight of a shuttlecock in badminton, and uh, it allows spaceship two to rely on aerodynamics and the laws of physics to control speed and altitude. And spaceship two's ability to feather its tail section is is the main safety feature here. Um, again, one that allows a craft to return into this thick atmosphere from the edge of space. Um, and the entire tail structure of the spaceship can actually be rotated upward to about 65 degrees. And then in this feathered configuration, automatic control of uh, alt- altitude with the fuselage parallel to the horizon is achieved. So this creates a really high drag as the spaceship descends through the upper regions of the atmosphere. So again, go- you know, going into and out of makes it a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say, elegant, right, mm-hmm. and safe. That That's the main part of this. Branson says that the company's spacecraft were built to exacting specifications and that they were able to mitigate a lot of the deleterious environmental effects of NASA's spaceship shuttle program. And um, he says that their technology, because it's brand new and not 40 years old, mm-hmm. uh, will be able to put someone into space for less than the em- environmental price in an economy class ticket from London to New York and back. And he says, quote, on top of that, we can put satellites into space for almost no carbon output because we're launching them from 60,000 feet rather than the land-based satellite launches. So, 
okay, this is where the possibilities start to grow a little bit more beyond just space tourism, right? Right. And, and, and it really begins to look like the, the like the space tourism is kind of the leg up on, on not just the future of sending ultra wealthy celebrities on a, uh, you know, on, a, <laughs> on, on, their a, dream trip. on their dream trip, but more on, you know, on getting a leg up on the next uh, phase in the evolution of human space flight and space exploration itself. Yeah. Uh, and that is why I mentioned earlier that, that there was, was somebody that was interested in booking an entire flight for uh, kind yeah. of a party. But it's not uh, it's an, it's it's not a, a bat mitzvah that's, uh, that's planned, but it's rather uh, NASA. For a $4.5 million deal, they've managed to charter a full flight from Virgin Galactic, uh, in, which includes an option of two additional flights. And on each of those, 1,300 pounds of scientific experiments, which in and of itself, when I first read that, I was like, well, that, that doesn't really sound like much. Like, what can... You know, there's no way that a Virgin Galactic flight is anything, uh, you know, on, on par with a, a space shuttle flight. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, you're going to be far limited in, in, in what you can do and how you can do it. But if you, again, if you look at it from the standpoint of a Virgin Galactic as being the leg up on the next phase of uh, of space exploration and uh, and where the the privatized version of space exploration is going, then it it makes a lot more sense. Well, and then, you know, is that the model that in the United States works in terms of space exploration? Is it privatizing? Is that is that actually the answer? And not only that, is there going to be a possible, you know, space port in, in every state? Um, this also brings up the question about whether or not we'll have global high-speed air and space travel, because you could, you know, pretty much travel to anywhere in the Earth in two hours or less. Yeah. Right? Uh, so this could change the, the landscape of travel entirely. Like intercontinental ballistic commute. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course the price would have to come down a bit, right? Yeah, it would. I mean, and that's the, the thing. I mean, it's, this is kind of like the people who are talking about getting uh, the ticket there, you can think of them as the early adapters. Yeah. Like before everyone, you know, got a like a certain smartphone, um, there were only the, the people who had the interest and the funds to get said smartphone. So that's another way, important thing to keep in mind when you're laughing at the prospect of, of paying $200,000 for anything that's not a house you know yeah yeah well and then also you know for our 10 year old listeners because i'm sure we've got some out there mm-hmm. i mean by the time you're 60 this might be a real possibility that you decide that you want to travel from you know london to uh i don't know uh south america yeah in, in under two hours and maybe the ticket's a thousand bucks by then who knows in a generation they'll take this for granted that's right. Yeah. That's right. But in terms of suborbital flight, um, another reason to do it is is something that we've touched on before, is something called the overview effect. Right. And uh, and this is the idea. As I kind of joked about it earlier when talking about the you know this hypothetical astronaut friend who won't shut up about his trip into space, <laughs> the idea that it changes you and uh, and the overview effect is certainly part of that. The idea that that once you've you've seen the Earth from from orbit or in this case suborbit that it, it changes something in you and mm-hmm. it gives you some new perspective on what life means and and uh, and, and, and maybe even how petty uh, any of our differences are on Earth. And a number of uh, people have, have written about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Most famously, the, uh, the no-tech science guy. Uh, noetic Sciences founder um, Edgar Mitchell talks yeah. about this because apparently this is something that a lot of astronauts experience, right? He described the sensation um, of looking at the Earth gave him a profound sense of connectedness with a feeling of bliss and timelessness. He was overwhelmed by the experience. He became profoundly aware that each and every atom in the universe was connected in some way, and on seeing Earth from space, he had an understanding that all humans, animals, and systems were a part of the same thing, a synergistic whole. It was an interconnected euphoria. Hmm. And this, that that's the quote from... Um, 
Noetics uh, website talks about the, his whole impetus for, for uh, creating this noetic science, which we won't go into if you're interested in that. Um, check out our podcast on the overview effect. Uh, but again, there's this idea that you, you are so changed by this whole new perspective that you have about life and your role in it. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm actually really, like, no joking, like I would really love to see entertainers like Jay-Z, like Kanye, go into suborbit experience this and be changed. Not because I think there's anything wrong with Jay-Z and Kanye in their current incarnations, but I would love to see space Jay-Z and space Kanye return. Uh-huh. What would that be like? What would that, that be for someone to take, for someone's whole creative flow to be reinvigorated by the overview effect? How would that affect their creative output? Well, I mean, you know, part of me thinks that they might start donning like monks robes or something, um, you know, and just <laughs> well, giving maybe. up all good, all materialistic pursuits. Well, let's not get silly about it. But oh, you're right, you're right. Maybe just one diamond study. Around. I'm thinking they would just maybe do some really cool tracks about how we're all a brotherhood of man, that kind of thing. But, but I do wonder that, uh, you know, to what extent can you really experience this? Because, you know, when astronauts are talking about the overview effect, they're also talking about having been in space for right. a month or so or more. And, and it's some of the grueling, s- right? right? Yeah, and some of the studies that we've looked at before and that, uh, that I had researched uh, – when they were talking about space euphoria mm-hmm. popping up as a as a symptom, it was a it was something that was occurring uh, well into a lengthy stay in space, and that's just not something that's going to happen with Virgin Galactic yeah. at, at this stage. <clears throat> yeah, there's the whole question about like, are you getting enough oxygen to your brain? Yeah. You know, because if you've been you know sitting in a chair for ten hours uh, for a month, uh, you know, y- your body's going to change. We've talked about that. There's right. a lot of things that happen to your brain and body. Now, once space hotels are actually uh, a possibility, you know, things may change a bit. And that's and space hotels are something that I mean, it's it's on the radar for everyone looking at this. It's certainly not. I mean, we're g- we're going to get the uh, the initial space tourism stuff down first, but but humans staying in space for recreation, I mean, that's it's on the chart. There's going to be a red roof uh, in pretty soon <laughs> in space. I'm pretty red sure roof of, of the it. world. Yeah. Howard Johnson's. Yeah, Hojo in space. All right. Well, let's. Uh, Let's put that one to rest and call over the robot to see if we have any listener mail to read. All right, uh, here is a here is an email from our listener Rachel. Rachel writes and says, "Hi, Julian Robert. Uh, I wanted to tell you how much I have been enjoying your podcast. I bike nine miles a day to and from work, and love listening to your uh, podcast and audiobooks on my ride. I've gotten uh, caught up on my usual podcast, and your podcast was recommended to me. And now I have been listening to your archive of podcasts. Thank you for giving me." so many things to think about. In listening to your cheating podcast, I was shocked to hear the percentages of cheating that people admitted to. I'm really hoping my daughters and their friends can escape this trap, and uh, I'm disappointed in how unlikely that may be. As for me, I did cheat once in high school, but never in college. I agree with suggestions, the suggestion in your podcast that school felt like something that was done to me in high school and college was something I was choosing to do. My high school cheating story is one I've told my daughters and one they thought was amusing. I was a senior in AP French taking the final. The teacher stood up during the final and told us in French that he was having a heart attack and needed to leave, which meant he left a class of under 10 kids in a room alone taking a final. So we collaborated. We read out the questions and translated them and discussed them. Was it wrong? Absolutely. Should the administration have put someone in that room to supervise us? Yes. As an aside, the teacher was fine after his heart attack, and he taught us uh, for a few more years. Thanks again for such a great podcast. It's wonderful. Wow, well, that's quite a story. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, on one hand, I. I mean, I can. I can certainly put myself in in her place. I mean, imagine myself in high school, and suddenly the the teacher is down, 
and you you and if and if assuming that the teacher is is cared for, and, and certainly he wasn't laying there on the floor the whole time. No, right, yeah. <laughs> the he the, he's out. The medical uh, folks uh, attending to him, and you may you're probably thinking, well, I really hope the best for him, but uh, I'm also kind of thinking I'm hoping the best for me. I can imagine these folks quickly deciding, yeah, let's let's collaborate, let's do it. So here's the yeah, opportunity. The, let's see today. I was about to say there a bunch of opportunists, right? Yeah. You know. But I'm I'm glad the teacher was all right. Yeah, <laughs> and that there was nothing fishy going on. Yeah. But, uh, now, if this was a after-school special, the, I think that perhaps that things wouldn't have turned out as well for the teacher, and then this would have been some sort of storyline of morality, right? Yeah. As long as subsequent classes didn't try and exploit this by giving him a heart attack so that they could cheat on the test. Exactly. But, well, hey, if you have anything you'd like to share with us, be it something about cheating or Virgin Galactic, let us know. You know. Would you go up on Virgin Galactic? Are you planning to? Uh, and if you are Richard Branson and you're listening to this podcast, send me a ticket. <laughs> I would like to go. Seriously, call me. But the rest of you can contact us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on Twitter, and we are Stuff to Blow uh, Your Mind on Facebook. And again, new email address. That's right. Take note. It is discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.